Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Imagine for a moment that you're in the market for a new car. You go down to what used to be Safro Toyota. Go into the dealership and you look at the latest model and... The salesman said, let's go and let's take this car out for a test drive. You go out on Capitol Drive, and as you're driving along, the salesman launches into his sales pitch. And in the sales pitch, we go something like this. Three hours in this car, and your back will be so out of joint you could not stand the pain. The cost for repairs on this car would be so much, it would be able to put my two kids through college. And every head that would see you driving this would turn and they would be laughing at you. (sighs) Wow. Nobody who wants to make a sale would say anything like that, would they? It it doesn't make sense. There's nothing compelling with that kind of language to make someone want to buy it. Which makes you wonder what Jesus was thinking when he uttered the words of this eighth and last beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Think of that. Because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If this is a sales pitch, it's not a very good one. But Jesus is an offering a sales pitch. He is offering a word, a word of comfort to disciples who will be persecuted because of him. And history has proved that that did happen. Many of them were martyred for the faith. Now, we have been spending months on the theme of the Beatitudes and this blessed life that Jesus is getting at in these opening words of his Sermon on the Mount. And it's interesting that the placement of the Beatitudes, that he would end with the Beatitude with a statement like that. You would want something a little more compelling. But that's a pretty heavy statement, isn't it? One that would certainly cause any listener 
of Jesus to think twice about whether or not they really want to embrace that kind of living. It's also interesting that Jesus doesn't just make this statement and move on quickly to the next thing like he did with the other Beatitudes. Because this is the only Beatitude in which Jesus expands on what he just said to add a little more clarification. It is as if of all the Beatitudes, Jesus is saying, okay, gang, this is the one that I want to sink into your mind. So here's just a little more information on this Beatitude. And on this one and this one only, he goes on to add, not only blessed are the persecuted, but he adds, blessed are you. When people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It is true that Jesus brings people together. It is true. Husbands and wives who have stopped loving one another. Children who are estranged from their parents. Neighbors whose relationships have crumbled can all testify to the power of the gospel to heal. We all know that. that. That is so exciting. But Jesus is saying, I can also come between people. Jesus' words here imply a sobering reality. Opposition is an inescapable consequence of discipleship. And if we are serious about being Christ's followers, we need to underscore what Jesus underscored and, and added a little more verbiage on it in the Beatitudes. As much as we want to fit in, we cannot help but be out of step in some degree. Christian faith doesn't necessarily make rejection less painful. It's only natural for us to want to be accepted. But Jesus's point here is very clear. If we are faithful in following Christ, we can expect some opposition. And it may come from those who are closest to us. I remember when I was a junior in high school, my brother told my grandma, said, Lonnie's, he's, he's planning to be a minister, Grandma. And most grandmas would be real excited. Oh, my grandma said, why in the world would he want to do that? There's no money in it. <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. And when my father got wind of that, he said, I refuse to pay college tuition for theology. That is a no-end degree. You do not have my support. I'm just a high school kid trying to do what I feel I'm supposed to do. Now, now, 
My grandmother and my father became the best supporters ever. <laughs> they came around. My dad's buried over there. He was a bondholder at the beginning of this church. But you guys see what Jesus is getting at? There could be those when you let the claims of the gospel get a hold of your life and drive your decisions. It can be divisive. I always like it when, when I... Uh, I'm traveling and I'm, I'm, I'm visiting a friend and they're having a, a party, maybe a cookout, and no one knows what I do. I say, do me a favor. Don't tell them I'm a pastor of a church. Let everyone embarrass themselves first. <laughs> and I've been in some fun situations where people would say really off-colored stuff. And then they well, what are you? I'm a pastor of a church. Oh, no. It's kind of funny. Well, that's not really persecution. That's just, you know, they, they say there's men, women, and clergy. Um, in the world. As we encourage each other, though, in this truth that Jesus is being very honest about, I think we also need to be very careful. This blessing that Jesus equates it to, it is a blessing that is only associated with a particular kind of of rejection. And if we fail to listen carefully here, we may draw the false conclusion that every nasty thing that someone says about us is a blessing. But sometimes nasty things people say about us could just be the truth because sometimes our behavior we label as persecution is just a natural and reasonable reaction to our bad behavior. Don't have a pity party. Maybe they don't reject us because we are followers of Christ. They reject us because perhaps at times we may be hard to get along with. I know there's times that that I'm hard to get along with, but it's not being persecuted. And often, though, there's other kinds of sufferings. There's the things that we suffer that they are not really related to our personal actions at all. You get a diagnosis from the doctor. It's a serious illness. The company that you work for it downsizes, and you get laid off from the job. And in such cases, we suffer not because we're Christians in the workplace. We simply, we're living in the world. And things like that happens in the world that we live in. So don't make like a martyr. There are some troubles that are also kind of just universally experienced. Christians are battered by storms and hurricanes along with everyone else. And that kind of suffering can just be a function of location. You're at the bad place at the wrong time. It helps you explain why bad things do happen to good people. A disease. A bad economy. A raging storm are all impersonal when I suffer from these things. I'm not singled out by some kind of human agent in them, but the kind of suffering that is mentioned by Jesus in this beatitude 
It really is. It's targeted suffering. And in these cases, the tormentor has a face. And the suffering has my name on it. Why do you want to do that? There's no money in that. I'm not going to support that. Go on your own. Jesus tells us, though, why, even in situations like that, we are to rejoice. He says, rejoice over this kind of rejection. And in the midst of that, Jesus says that we can rejoice because Jesus promises a reward to those who are persecuted or slandered for his sake. Rejoice and be glad, he tells them, because great is your reward in heaven. His point is clear. It's clear enough. But don't you think that such a promise falls on hard times in our modern ears, our modern way of thinking. It seems a little hollow, maybe a little shallow. It, it feels uncomfortably like the, the kind of thing a bad employer might say to you. Somebody who wants us to work long and hard hours at a difficult job, but either can't afford or doesn't want to pay us much for our labor. They say something like, the salary's not much, the employer admits, but the work itself is rewarding. It sounds like Jesus is saying, don't worry about it when people hate you and slander you because of me. You get a reward in heaven. And sometimes we struggle because our human side of us wants to respond. Is that all? Why do I have to wait so long? Isn't there a little reward for me here and now? How about a little acclaim? How about a little respect? Reward in heaven. Okay, that's good, Jesus. But what can you do for me now? And why should I have to face such difficulties in the first place? That dynamic in the call to Christian discipleship is the vulnerable edge which either sharpens or it dulls the Christ follower. As they say, the honed edge of a knife is its most vulnerable spot. Because it's either the sharpest, but it can also be the most dull at point if it's banged up. The fact that we are so little motivated by Jesus, by his promise, says more about our vision than it does about the reward. That's hard to look at. But if we're serious in making him Lord and to be about what he taught, we have to get around that. And I think the issue is our view, our perspective, <laughs> it's too limited. 
We walk this pilgrim's path with downcast eyes so that all we see are the difficulties that lie immediately before us. But perhaps one of the designs of our Lord is in saying and compelling our eyes to have a wider horizon, a wider vision to that arena that Jesus calls the great reward. He says, it's not here. There is acceptance, but not here. There is honor, but not here. Remember, it is Jesus himself who points us to the reward. And he's the one who says we should face these trials with a sense of expectation. And what's more, Jesus describes this as a blessing. Blessed are. A blessing, not a wage. And we are so wage-oriented in our culture, I don't think we can understand what a blessing is. What I receive is assumed to be equal to the effort that I've expended. That's what we want. We want to get the reward from what we gave. But I tell you, it's totally different in the gospel. Because in the gospel, we realize that Jesus doesn't speak in terms of equivalence. He uses the language of grace. Pretty radical. Pretty radical. Our Lord taught about that in many places, many parables. Some worked longer than others, but they all got the same. Not the same wage. It was a gracious gift. So, those who are persecuted are not paid for their troubles. It's not like, well, you went to battle, here's, uh, here's combat pay. No, not at all. Verse 12 talks about that, where it says, Rejoice and be glad, because great, not equal, great is your reward in heaven. In heaven. Now, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't describe the nature of the reward. He does not offer proof. You know your reward is great because others have gone before you, Jesus says. He says, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, for most of us, those for whom... Persecution is really the exception and not the rule. That's why, again, it's also so very hard for us because we live in this remarkable country, this remarkable land that, 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 that emphasizes and uplifts the blessing that we have in God. But think of it as a culture where the stuff we do is illegal. That's who Jesus is writing to. For those of us who persecution is the exception and not the rule, Jesus' words, I think for us, they are to be, here is a reality check. You have it 
so good, so quit your whining. Get off the cross. We need the wood. Quit your whining. It's a reality check. And the reality check is that this world is not our home. That's the reality check. Now, realizing all that, (laughs) it takes conviction. It takes conviction to live like Jesus calls us to. It takes conviction and it requires that we live courageously because the values of the Beatitudes that we have been grappling with for months, they run directly counter to the values of the world we live in. They do. It takes courage to believe that being desperate for God is being better than being self-reliant. That's a beatitude. That facing our failure and brokenness is better than skipping along the surface of life. That living with an open hand is much better than grabbing what we want. That pursuing God's goodness is better than chasing after the tangible prizes of the world. That mercy is preferable to justice. That purity is better than division. And that peace is better than conflict. These are the values of the Beatitudes. And they are the values that essentially encompass the teachings of Jesus. So finally, I've said enough. It's important to note the way language and words are structured in the Beatitudes. Notice that the, the Beatitudes, they are bookend. They are bookend with the words about the kingdom of heaven. Really interesting. The very first Beatitude says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then you go all the way down to the last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That, that is a very interesting way of, 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 of artistically writing about these Beatitudes because they're bookend in the middle of the kingdom of heaven. For it is in between, I believe, those words. That with his fine point feather brush, with the remarkable economy of words, Jesus begins to paint a picture of what kingdom people look like. What are we to look like? With all their detail and texture, 
poor in spirit, broken over the world, meek, hungry, thirsty, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking. In the places of our lives where we embrace God's kingly rule. May our lives reflect his righteousness. As we embrace God as king, we become a part of that kingdom that God created with foremost allegiance to Christ. Be blessed, my dear friends, for he is king and he is Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, there it is, and here we are. Lord, may we live in these words, live in what you taught. May everything and every prejudice we have be tempered and filtered by the beauty of your holy word. May we realize the remarkable blessing that ultimately we have in the midst of your kingdom. And you also reminded us many times in your word, Lord, you said the kingdom of God is at hand. There is that presence of the future. There is that glimpse of it that we have now, Lord, and we are grateful. May we be blessed, Lord. As a church as persons who's a part of this community, who stands on the promises, who do not set on the premises, who's a part of a great nation, a nation of promise. Bless us, Lord, and the purposes for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Would you stand and let us sing together? I think it's very appropriate that we conclude this time of worship as we sing America the Beautiful. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.